In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're talking about the altcoins that could benefit greatly from the successful Ethereum merge, but that is not all. We've got news for, about some concerning signs for Bitcoin, a Cardano vassal hard fork update, analysis of the avalanche drama, and a bunch more that you don't want to miss. That said, you know the drill. Grab yourself a coffee, make sure you are subscribed, and stick around for the whole episode. And finally, beware of scammers. I will not reach out to you on social media or in the YouTube comments or on any chat apps. Thank you very much to Onyx Coffee Roasters for the coffee tonic today. So my friends, as you likely know, if you haven't been hibernating under a rock for the last several days, weeks, and months, the long-awaited and much-hyped Ethereum merge completed successfully this past week, moving the Ethereum network from proof-of-work consensus to proof-of-stake consensus. This is undoubtedly a long-term positive shift for Ethereum as the bigger body of work to make Ethereum scalable and more future-proof begins from here on out. However, there are a handful of altcoins or crypto projects that I think could benefit greatly from the Ethereum merge for various different reasons, and those fall into two distinct categories I'll talk about today, Ethereum ecosystem coins and Ethereum competitor coins. And let's start in the Ethereum ecosystem and move our way out. So those who woke up the morning of the merge, or the next day after the merge, excuse me, which happened late at night, if they hadn't already, they probably realized that the merge had not fixed gas fees or scalability. And the scalability is really what drives the high gas fees. And therefore, it's undeniable that the long-term future of Ethereum is in scalability solutions, but the near-term is in layer two networks that have been building tirelessly for years and years now to prepare for this day. Ethereum is shifting, according to Vitalik Buterin, towards a layer two-centric ecosystem where the majority of day-to-day -day activity will happen on a layer two network and derive security and finality from the layer one Ethereum mainnet. Are you seeing where I'm going here? The family of altcoins that could explode with the adoption of the merge in general and proof of stake and the need for more scalability are layer two networks and their native DeFi applications on top. So as I name drop some of these examples, please don't just go FOMO by everything I talk about. Read up, structure your own plan and execute. Focus on risk management, okay? I say it like a broken record and I mean it. Don't just go buy stuff because I talk about it. Anyway, layer two native cryptocurrencies like OP, native to the optimistic rollup network Optimism, LRC, the native coin for Loop Rings network. These are all promising places where you might see uptake now that the merge is complete. And even more lucrative and equally more risky could be DeFi projects that spawn on these layer two networks in droves. You're already seeing this happening and some incredible innovation and development on my personal favorite Ethereum layer two right now, and that is Arbitrum. There are quite a few projects that are building DeFi applications on Arbitrum right now that have piqued my interest. Uh, ones like uh, Dow Jones, funny name by the way, uh, Premia Finance, Y2K Finance, and Umami Finance. And the best part is all of this development and growth for Arbitrum is happening before the existence of a native token for Arbitrum. So there's no token to be speculating around for Arbitrum itself, and I'm sure it will come in the future to much fanfare. I would recommend that you keep your eyes very closely focused on Arbitrum's ecosystem in particular for ways to get involved without any financial obligation, like participating in test nets, earning airdrops if you're a developer doing bug bounty hunts. You don't have to put your hard-earned money on the line, and you can actually get involved and get exposure to projects that way. Oh, and don't forget about the whole other beast that is ZK Rollup Tech. 
you have Matter Labs ZK Sync and Polygon ZK EVM coming down the pike. And those are gonna get a lot of attention and a lot of stuff built on them as well. So there's lots of exciting stuff coming in the L2 space. And all that being said, the Ethereum L2 ecosystem is not the only place that I believe we'll see growth in the wake of the Ethereum merge. I think Ethereum competitors are also going to get a boost as well. And this might sound counterintuitive, but if you think about it, it really does make sense. For years and years now, the narrative has been, you know, wait for Ethereum 2.0, wait for proof of stake. And of course, it's no longer called Ethereum 2.0, but you get the idea. Everyone was waiting for the merge to proof of stake for the future of Ethereum. But the truth is there's so much work left to do for the protocol, and that will happen. Not to mention the fact that I and many others believe that Ethereum's proof of stake implementation is inferior in some ways to competitors' implementation. So Algorand and Cardano, to name a couple. And Algorand and Cardano don't have the type of barriers to validator adoption and strict requirements for staked assets to be effectively controlled by the validator that they're staked to. Just a couple of reasons. Ethereum was designed this way on purpose, and that's fine. But not everyone is going to wish to give up control of their Ether to stake with a validator. And even fewer still are going to be able to afford the 32 ETH needed to singularly control a validator without pooling with friends, family, or the community. Furthermore, Ethereum is still not ready to scale to the levels that Algorand can, or that Cardano can with batching, or that Cosmos app chains can. And a lot of these can do this today with proof of stake at its core. And I'm not saying that Ethereum is not going to make it, or not that Ethereum is not going to... Uh, dominate the market in the future. But what I'm saying is that the field of play is leveled right now. And over the next six to 12 months, you should watch these competing L1 chains to see not just their price, but their user activity, their development activity spiking and growing as more interest in these chains come up and more opportunities come up in these spaces. And speaking of opportunity, I've talked extensively about the need for tools and utilities for blockchain data that can be used by developers in their applications, both on and off chain. And the graph is a great example of this in the Ethereum space, but there are a ton of networks that have untapped potential for data services like the graph. And they're really not getting those services yet. So this is where my friends at SubQuery are working to deliver solutions. And just for transparency, I invested in them, I think last year during an early round of SubQuery's launch. And I did so for good reason, just for transparency. SubQuery is aiming to provide developer tools and APIs that operationalize blockchain data across various blockchain ecosystems. And they've built out a network of over a thousand indexers already serving data across three different chains in their frontier testnet. So as SubQuery tracks towards its mainnet launch, it also announced that it's expanding support to the Cosmos ecosystem through networks such as Juno Network, Fetch AI, and Stargaze. So expansive support for the Cosmos ecosystem, in addition to the native Polkadot ecosystem it comes from, is a huge statement of intent for SubQuery to support the data needs of cross-chain developers in the future of this space. So I'm really excited that SubQuery has taken these steps to support the inevitable multi-chain environment that we're heading towards, and I'll be supporting them along the way. Now, I also want to take a moment to shout out the sponsor of today's show, PrimeXBT. PrimeXBT offers a full set of crypto exchange products for the experienced trader from simple purchase of crypto to high risk, high reward margin trading. PrimeXBT also offers trading contests for those who wish to compete with other traders on the platform for prizes. For users though, who aren't quite ready to dive into the expert level world of crypto trading, 
Prime XBT does also offer a trading academy platform where one can learn through videos and posts about various topics in the world of crypto trading from fundamentals to current state analysis and more. I've actually had Dirk Hartig, the professional trader who leads the educational content on the platform on the show before, and he does a great job of explaining the basics as well as a lot of the advanced topics. So if you want to check out Prime XBT and learn more about it, you can use the link in the description below to explore their offerings. And please note that geographic restrictions may apply and that there is a high risk of losses associated with trading crypto or any other asset of like kind, particularly with leverage. So please adhere to strict risk management practices. Now, in other news, you may recall not too long ago, crypto Twitter being set ablaze over controversy stemming from anonymous reports from a self-described whistleblower, CryptoLeaks, that the organization behind the Layer 1 blockchain avalanche had been engaging in some uh, shady practices, to say the least, to win ground against competitors. More specifically, the reports described how a law firm, Roche Friedman, had allegedly weaponized litigation like class action lawsuits against competitors of Avalanche. Of course, this caused quite the stir, with the folks behind Avalanche denying the reports vehemently, which is no surprise, and then a range of opinions on either side of the fence from communities around the crypto world had things divided on crypto Twitter. But now, this whole thread's gone dark. I can't find much news about this at all after it broke a few weeks ago, which leaves quite a lot of room for speculation that I think is quite interesting, to say the least. That said, let me be clear that I'm speculating here, but the silence from Roche Friedman, Ava Labs, and the reported whistleblower could mean really one of two things in my mind. One, it could mean that this was an exaggerated and opportunistic rally against Avalanche by crypto leaks that will eventually just dissipate and be forgotten. And let me be clear, it's about Ava Labs, not Avalanche itself. Alternatively, this was a legitimate practice that was being implemented by Ava Labs, and there is legal action ongoing behind the scenes. It could be either one of those. And without any information about this being publicly discussed, without transparency, it's really hard to pinpoint what the truth actually is, which is, in my opinion, actually worse for Ava Labs than getting in front of this and releasing whatever documentation and proof that they may have that this is in fact false. And yes, this report may fall out of the news cycle permanently, but its absence from the headlines will not rectify the loss of trust that many neutral parties and Avalanche faithful may have in the wake of this whole debacle. So what do you think? Are you, an av are you into Avalanche? Are you an Avalanche fan? Do you think this was a legit whistleblower report or do you think it's a concerted effort to sort of bend the truth to deflate Avalanche? We shall see. And interestingly enough, there hasn't been much talk about this particular metric as Bitcoin hangs right around the $20,000 mark, but there is a slightly concerning trend that's popped up that I want to talk about in the Bitcoin markets of late. According to data from the crypto analytics company Glassnode, the inflow of BTC to exchanges saw its largest single-day spike since March 2020 on September 14th, with over 230,000 Bitcoin making its way onto exchanges. Generally speaking, this is a bearish signal, as exchange inflows often imply intent to sell a given asset, especially as it moves from self-custody onto exchanges. And to me, the way I would read this data is that there's a lot of uncertainty around Bitcoin and the broader crypto markets right now. As investors look for opportunities to take advantage of swings in price, they turn to exchanges to do so. And one thing I'd like to point out here is the timing of this phenomenon that I think is pretty interesting. I'm willing to bet 
that many of these exchanges saw inflows of BTC from investors who were anticipating a broad market sell-off after the Ethereum merge, a sell-the-news moment, if you will. So we may not be seeing a shift of intent from the majority of Bitcoin holders who have traditionally been very stable in holding Bitcoin off exchange in self-custody through this bear market. We might just have to see how this plays out as the coming week or two is going to be very clear what these inflows really mean for Bitcoin's price, if it means there's going to be mass selling or if it was just a blip. Now, Cardano fans will also be very pleased in the wake of the latest update from IOG, the core development arm for Cardano, which indicated that the long-awaited Vassal hard fork is set and ready to go for a September 22nd launch. So it's right around the corner. The Vassal hard fork brings much needed upgrades to the scalability and programmability of the Cardano network, including critical smart contract related upgrades that will unlock many DeFi applications that are lying in wait to launch on mainnet. Now, some of these smart contract upgrades are not talked about very often, if at all, such as the new version of the Plutus interpreter core to running smart contracts on Cardano. And this will drastically optimize the cost and size of Plutus scripts on the network, resulting in cheaper decentralized applications on Cardano, which is a win. After the fall launch of smart contracts and the growing pains that came along with it, the Vassal hard fork marks a huge milestone in the delivery of the original vision for Cardano, leaving only governance and massive scale through L2s left to accomplish to round out the ambitious five eras of Cardano development outlined in the original roadmap. So on or around September 22nd, expect to see some cool announcements from various projects in the Cardano space. It's going to be a really exciting time, and you're going to want to be all over it on Twitter. Now, my friends, it is also time for 404logic.found, a firecracker of a segment on the show where we bring attention to illogical happenings in the crypto space. And if you want to help the show get some attention, please hit the like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share it with your friends, whatever you can do. It's much appreciated. And sorry if my voice is a little scratchy. I've been up all night, so my voice is a little messed up. But anyways, the topic of today's logicless circus is the clown world battle that still rages on between Bitcoin and Ethereum maximalist communities whose interactions increasingly echo that of the most horrendously illogical divide between Republican and Democratic parties in the U.S. politics. On one side, you have the Ethereum maximalist who refuses to see the clear flaws that Ethereum still has to fix and refuses to acknowledge that proof of stake has a time and purpose as does proof of work. On the other side, you have the Bitcoin maximalist who believes that all else besides Bitcoin is a scam and even more hilarious. Many believe that anyone who doesn't believe in Bitcoin and its proof of work core is an enemy to freedom. I mean, you can't even make this stuff up. Over the years, these two blockchains have dominated the charts, the narratives, and the portfolios of crypto investors, and both blockchains share the same consensus mechanism of proof of work up until very recently. Yes, many Bitcoin proponents pointed to Ethereum as a scam due to its coin offering early on its creation, but largely there were points of compromise or common ground between the two throughout the past several years. However, as Ethereum's plan to shift the proof of stake away from proof of work continued to accelerate, the divide also continued to grow. And today, you now have Bitcoin and Ethereum proponents writing threads, papers, blogs, podcasts, videos about how the other is flawed and broken and needs to be canceled effectively 
citing energy consumption concerns and minor centralization against Bitcoin and validator centralization and proof of stake and regulatory risks against Ethereum. In extreme cases, you also have folks on either side trying to place a wedge politically against the other. On one hand, pushing for regulation of scams and securities targeted at Ethereum, and on the other hand, pointing to Bitcoin's energy consumption as merit for it to be banned or regulated. That's the most egregious of the outcomes in this ideological tit-for-tat. Two quote-unquote decentralized communities going to big daddy government to win one over the other. It's utterly ridiculous and offensive to anyone in this space who doesn't care about the protocols that do it, but that the outcome is the same. The outcome is that folks want mass adoption for decentralized tech. So there's nothing to gain, and I mean nothing to gain in fighting a battle of ideology within this space that has at this moment in time less than a $1 trillion market cap, particularly when there is a massive degree of synergy and common ground between the two sides that so often are pitted against each other, in my opinion, for no good reason. I often laugh to myself when I see these foolish debates going on on Twitter, especially the debate of proof of stake versus proof of work. In my mind, I think back to the OG Pokemon games, the ones on Game Boy Color, when you try and equip your bike inside a building and you get this message that says, Professor Oak's voice echoed in your head, there's a time and place for everything. Listen to Professor Oak, okay? For Bitcoin, proof of work is the ideal mechanism to drive cost of production and secure the network against nefarious actors. Its main use is not to drive programmable applications written in code, but to be a pillar, a store of value for the entire decentralized technology space. Proof of work is a tool to be used where needed, and it's needed in Bitcoin. Ethereum, on the other hand, was hampered heavily by proof of work, both in its ability to build for scalability, but also for its adoption. Many would not adopt the network that cannot provide low energy consumption for operations. Whether you agree with that or not, that's a factor. Proof of stake is the standard for decentralized application networks, and it likely will remain so. And it's again a tool to be used when it fits best. There's a time and place for everything, the right tool for the job. As a symbiotic relationship, Bitcoin and Ethereum can, should, and in my opinion, will continue to be used together by a vast number of crypto users. Bitcoin as a store of value central to the growth of decentralized finance on Ethereum and other chains, and Ethereum as a hub for programmable logic around the value stored in Bitcoin and others. Both are needed, both are valuable, and both apply the same principles, just in different ways to achieve different ends. They have different goals, and so they should not be guided or judged on the same design principles. Those who spend their time casting aspersions in their perceived competition, rather than building and educating others on the merits of their own preferred protocol, are acting in a manner that is completely illogical. Further still, those who spend their time pontificating about the future dominance of decentralized technology and yet fail to even attempt to find common ground with their peers are treading water eternally in the realm of a 404 logic not found. And with that, folks, I want to remind you that tomorrow you should stop back here on the channel or on the podcast because I'm going to be posting the weekly Crypto Over Coffee Q&A episode where I answer your questions from Twitter and YouTube comments. But if you want to stick around and watch more free crypto content or listen to more free crypto content, there's a really awesome episode that you should watch. I'm going to link it here on the screen on YouTube and in the description in the podcast. But most of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to check out the show today. I hope you and your family have a wonderful rest of the weekend. And until next time, cheers.